From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are Dan Rabib, columnist for Newsday, and Steve Herman, VOA White House Bureau Chief. Welcome, Dan and Steve. Pleasure to be here. Hey there, Kim. Well, here are the issues. The U.S. reached President Joe Biden's goal of getting at least one COVID-19 shot into 70% of American adults, a month late and amid a fierce surge by the Delta variant that is spreading across the country. This as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, is drawing criticism from experts in the medical and scientific community for its on and off again masking recommendations. Well, a trillion-dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill is slowly making its way through the Senate as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer pledged to delay the chamber's August break until it passes. The package includes more than $150 billion to boost clean energy and promote climate resilience, but falls far short of President Biden's pledge to transform the nation's heavily fossil fuel-powered economy into a clean-burning one by 2035. The pressure on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to resign is building. President Biden, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and every member of New York's Democratic congressional delegation have said the governor should step down after an investigation by the state attorney general concluded that Cuomo had sexually harassed almost a dozen women. The Taliban condemned the U.S. for offering to relocate Afghans who fear they may be targeted by the organization once U.S. troops have completed their withdrawal from Afghanistan. The statement comes after the Taliban claimed responsibility for an attack in Kabul on the home of the acting defense minister, as well as another as yet unclaimed attack on Wednesday. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. Dan, I'll start with you. With now 70% of adults vaccinated in the U.S. and more than 90 million people eligible are still unvaccinated. So what is the next step in getting more people vaccinated here in the U.S.? Almost every day, uh, President Biden and his top officials are almost begging Americans to get the vaccine. They're pointing out that almost everywhere in the 50 states and here in Washington, D.C., the vaccine is available. You just have to be willing to go and roll up your sleeve and get the shot. And so we're finding apparently tens of millions of Americans don't believe in any vaccine or don't believe in this vaccine. It seems to be an issue that officially the Pfizer, the Moderna and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the last of which only requires one shot, not two, they only got permission, approval from the Food and Drug Administration to be used on an emergency basis. And so critics of the vaccines are often pointing to that and saying, when is the approval of the vaccines going to become official so more people will believe in them? Some scientists say it shouldn't make much of a difference, but apparently it does. And the Biden administration, I would say, is frustrated that more than 20% of Americans have indicated in opinion polls they don't intend to get vaccinated at all. Also, Steve, you've been covering the global initiative, COVAX Cooperative, and getting vaccines to other countries that need them. So looking at this from that perspective, the White House announced 
the U.S. has shipped more than 110 million doses of U.S.-made COVID-19 vaccines to more than 60 nations. And you asked President Biden whether it's time for other high-income countries to emulate the U.S. lead. What was his response? Yes, at the uh, end of that event in the White House East Room, I did ask the president whether other uh, high-income countries should follow the lead of the United States. And he said that this had actually been agreed to at the recent uh, G7 meeting in England. And some countries have been keeping their pledge, but then obviously, without saying it, the words that did not come out were other countries are not doing this. There is tremendous frustration, especially in Africa where I believe it's only about 2% of the population has been vaccinated right now. And there's also quite a bit of concern that rather than shipping doses to Africa and other low and middle income countries, what these high income countries will start to do is giving their citizens boosters. So you would have people in wealthy countries getting their third shot before the majority of the people in the world even get their first shot. It was really noticed here in Washington by a lot of people that the World Health Organization told the, if you will, the wealthy countries, don't do it. Do not use your vaccines to give people a booster. In the case of the Moderna and Pfizer, it would mean a third shot. Even though uh, Israel, for instance, started to do that for all of its citizens over the age of 60, saying that, uh, in effect, the first shots that they got early this year or late last year were starting to wear off. And I heard mixed reactions here in the U.S., getting a warning or a plea from the World Health Organization that instead the vaccines should go to less developed, less wealthy countries. You know, some Americans you know, said, but wait a second, the reason that these vaccines were invented in the U.S. and have been stockpiled by the U.S. is for the health of Americans, first of all. But some Biden administration officials seem to say, hey, it's not just a matter of charity or goodwill. But if you really want to stamp out COVID-19, we have to help other countries do it also to stamp it out around the world. That's absolutely what President Biden is saying, that this virus uh, doesn't uh, respect any border walls. And until we get the world vaccinated, that people in the United States will not be truly safe. The big concern is if we start to have a variant like the Delta variant that's really breaking through and scientific studies show that a booster is the way to really cut that, then probably altruism is going to go out the window or the equity for these vaccines. And you will see countries probably, including the United States, giving the boosters rather than sending more doses abroad. But there is a hope that there can be some sort of a balance. The supply seems to be there now. Biden did say that there are enough shots for every Americans, and that will continue to be the case. Okay, those are some really good points you all raised there. And also, I just wanted to add that in New York City, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced people in his city will be required to show proof of vaccination for indoor dining, gyms, and entertainment shows. And this is the first city in the nation to require such proof of vaccination. So I'll just throw this out to both of you all. Do you see more cities following suit or perhaps some pushback? I see that acting Boston Mayor Kim Janey, also a Democrat and African-American woman who compared such requirements to the Jim Crow era. That was quite stunning what the mayor of Boston said, because at first it seemed to be one of those political issues in this country where Republican governors and mayors would say, I'm not forcing anybody to wear a mask. 
and I'm not forcing anyone to prove they've been vaccinated. It's entirely up to the individual, whereas Democrats in general were saying, hey, for the sake of public safety and health, then we have to have these restrictions, like the mayor of New York City said. But it turned out that it's not only a matter of your political party, but kind of your disposition and how you define freedom. And should the government of the United States or local governments require you to show some proof that you've been vaccinated? And keep in mind that here in the United States, there is no electronic passport or health passport where you prove you've had the vaccine. Instead, those who've gotten the shots have a simple white card. And there's quite a warning that this white card that was created by a federal agency, the Centers for Disease Control, could easily be forged. Probably what we're going to end up seeing is effectively the use of a so-called vaccine passport at the state and local level. And in some states, such as Florida, where the governor is very much uh, against mass mandates and such, things will be pretty relaxed. Although you may have particular cities that impose their own regulations, despite the governor's wish that they don't do this. And then other parts of the country, such as what we've seen in, in New York City, uh, we're also seeing this now in places like Las Vegas and Los Angeles. That white card that uh, Dan refers to is essentially going to be your passport for a lot of activities, whether it's uh, getting into a musical concert or perhaps at some point just getting into the grocery store. And there probably will be legal challenges to some of this. Absolutely. I don't see this issue going away anytime soon because I believe COVID and its various variants will be around for some time. On now to the $1 trillion infrastructure bill where progress has slowed as Senate action lawmakers haggle over more than 250 proposed amendments to the legislation. Senators on both sides of the aisle appear to be frustrated. So, Dan, what are some hurdles do you see with this? The basic problem that I hear from many members of Congress, and it's mostly Republicans who are in the minority in Congress who say this, is that it's not clearly paid for. The Democrats, including President Biden and White House staffers, say that it can be paid for. It is paid for. They say they have a plan for this. And the Democrats also are pointing to the four years under President Donald Trump in which they say there was a ton of spending and there were tax cuts, which increased the deficit in the United States government budget. And right now we need another boost. We're just still having this debate as to whether the boost is needed. Now, President Biden had proposed much more trillions of dollars in spending. It's come down to about one trillion. Maybe it'll barely squeak through. Another debate we hear is whether this is real, simple infrastructure, building bridges, highways, and tunnels, or whether also you're trying to expand high-tech education and other things that Democrats say are needed to modernize the United States. Still, by the way, if $1 trillion is passed by the Senate and the House and actually happens, that would be quite a change, a lot of spending and a lot of work for Americans to get this done. That's the emphasis that uh, President Biden is putting on in uh, appearances he's making. He went again to another labor union training hall in Maryland on Wednesday. I was with him at one recently in Cincinnati, and that for not only is, is this going to fix roads and bridges, the president's trying to tell middle America, but it's going to create jobs. 
The irony is, is if you try to get a carpenter, a plumber, or somebody else to come fix things in your house right now, there's a shortage of skilled labor. So really the emphasis is going to have to be in convincing people to take these jobs. And you know, some of the salaries are, are pretty good in America for skilled laborers. And that's also been part of the emphasis from uh, the First Lady, Jill Biden, uh, with uh, community colleges, telling people that uh, perhaps uh, getting a two-year degree that's more vocational than a liberal arts uh, four-year degree at an expensive university is going to end up putting more money in your pocket over the, the course of your career than ending up with a liberal arts degree. Steve, let me ask you this because you're at the White House every day, and I'm wondering if this is a sign of the big change in the tone of policymaking compared with the four years of Donald Trump. We're now just over six months into the Biden administration. And here's one point, right? Our global audience may hear, oh, a lot of jobs will be created in the United States and there's a shortage of skills such as carpentry and plumbing, right? There may well be non-Americans who think, great, I'd love to move to the United States and get the jobs. Now, the Trump administration always said America first, like it was for Americans, and generally tried to limit migration. Any change under the Biden administration on that? Well, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in regard to immigration, legal immigration in this country, because as other countries have experienced, if you want to have these sort of skilled laborers those jobs are being filled by immigrants. And, and the matter of the fact is when I have somebody come to my house to work on my washing machine or to fix the pipes, I would say 80, 90% of the time, they are people who were not uh, born in this country. So what we may see is, uh, for example, people that are unskilled right now in this country and lower paying jobs, say working as uh, landscapers or uh, stocking supermarket aisles, they may have the opportunity to go to a community college and move up the ladder, so to speak. Yes, and thanks, Dan. It's a great question. And just to wrap up this topic, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the Senate will stay in session and cut into the August recess to complete passage of this bill and a budget resolution. Again, I'll throw it out to both of you. Are the Democrats confident this bill is going to pass? Well, we were hearing in recent weeks that it's close, but increasingly, yes, those in Congress who actually count the votes said even if it has to be Democrats only, with every single Republican voting no, it possibly could pass. You may know that a lot of legislation in the United States Senate requires 60 votes out of 100, not just a simple majority. But if you write the bill in a certain way, you can pass it with a majority. It'll be close because there are some Democrats who also don't want to spend all this money and increase the U.S. government deficit. Okay, thanks. And we'll pause for a quick break. And when we come back, we'll look at the latest developments on calls for the governor of New York to resign. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panelists who are joining me via Skype, Dan Marib, columnist for Newsday, and Steve Herman, BOA White House Bureau Chief. 
Well, Steve, President Biden told reporters at the White House when asked whether New York Governor Cuomo should be removed from office if he refuses to resign, Biden said, quote, I understand the state legislature may decide to impeach. I do not know that for a fact, unquote. So right now, is there enough evidence to impeach Cuomo if he doesn't resign? I think it's almost inevitable that there is enough evidence. The question is, how long is this going to play out? President Biden has been blunt. Part of the answer to that question when he was asked about it is he said, yes, that the New York governor should resign because the president earlier had said if this report uh, did have evidence of misconduct uh, by the governor, then he should not stay in the job. I'm hard-pressed to think, Dan, of a single prominent Democrat right now in New York or anywhere in the United States, including the president, who uh, has not said that Governor Cuomo should resign. So this is something that's uh, painful to watch, especially for those who say that they were uh, the target by the governor of, of these sorts of acts. And with the Democratic Party being up front and center in the Me Too movement, the governor's actions do seem indefensible. And that's why uh, members of his own Democratic Party are not defending him, that's for sure. Considering that there is such strong evidence in this official report that was commissioned by the Attorney General of the state of New York that Governor Cuomo sexually harassed 11 women, including some on the government payroll, members of his staff, it's just humiliating, obviously, but it goes beyond, of course, the personal issue. It shows that here in the United States, it has become unforgivable to engage in sexual harassment. There's even the possibility of criminal prosecution. By the time our listeners are hearing this program, maybe Governor Cuomo will have resigned. If Cuomo doesn't resign, it does seem that he'll be impeached and removed from office by the legislature of the state of New York. A lesson will be learned, perhaps, by other men in politics. I sure hope so. And also, it's been 13 years since a New York governor has resigned. Then-Democratic Governor Elliot Spitzer stepped down in early 2008 after admitting to having extramarital affairs with sex workers. And it's been more than a century since a New York governor has been impeached and removed from office. So if Cuomo, if he steps down or if he is impeached, then he would be succeeded by New York Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, who would make history as the state's first female governor. Where does she stand on this? What is she saying about the situation? She uh, has to be careful because if she pushes too much for the governor to resign, then it looks like she is making a campaign, so to speak, for the job. But I think one of the reasons that we've seen loud and uh, immediate voices among key Democrats in New York State and elsewhere for the governor to step down is that there's no chance for the Republicans to seize power in that state. And they want this all settled before the next gubernatorial election. And as of today, Cuomo has not said that he's not going to run again for a fourth term. He's the son of a governor who served three terms. So he had been hoping that he would make family history by becoming a four-term governor of New York. And that seems impossible now. Yes, and even with him denying some of these allegations of sexual harassment or saying that it's his culture or he's been doing it for years. But what about the people of New York? Where do they stand on this? 
I heard a lot of interviews with New Yorkers, and I personally also lived in New York City for a long time. And some of them said, well, this is the Cuomo family, because Governor Cuomo's father, Mario Cuomo, also was a long-term governor in the past. And it's a very warm family. And by the way, often they say Italian-Americans who like to hug people and kiss on the cheek and kiss on the forehead. Again, this kind of behavior doesn't seem to be acceptable these days, but it goes beyond that. The allegations against Governor Cuomo are, are far more serious. It's not just a matter of a hug and a kiss on the forehead, but truly harassment, remarks that he made, etc. Some New Yorkers think, well, boys will be boys, but others are realizing that times have changed and he can't get away with it. Well, the ground is shifting quickly under the governor and polls are now showing that a, a substantial percentage of people that were supportive of him were repeating uh, what exactly Dan was saying are realizing as a result of this damning report from the state attorney general's office that their language is graphic. So you could argue if, if there were one or two accusers, maybe they had been put up to it for political gain. But we're talking about 11 women here, and that's what people are realizing. And also, we have to mention that the attorney general is also a Democrat. So for Governor Cuomo to say that this is sort of some political hit job on him doesn't hold a lot of water. Yes, and we will continue to follow this quickly developing story. And now to get in our last topic, Afghanistan, where Taliban is taking credit for Tuesday night's deadly car bombing in Kabul. And Dan, while the Taliban have been making rapid gains, particularly since U.S.-led forces began a withdrawal in May, few experts see a complete takeover of the capital as imminent. Do you see everyone is having this type of confidence? No. When I've heard from military experts here in Washington, D.C., they say the U.S. and its allies are trying to handle the departure from Afghanistan best they can. The last U.S. ground troops have left. Certainly, experts here in Washington have been pointing to the fact that the U.S. is still conducting some air raids against the Taliban, even as Taliban fighters do assault many of the cities of Afghanistan and just about all the provinces of that country, will the Taliban capture the capital? Will they have to, is the question, because if some form of negotiations actually take place between the government of Afghanistan, now feeling it's been pretty much abandoned by the U.S., Britain, and other allies, between that government and the Taliban, then maybe instead there'll be some power-sharing arrangement. And of course, there's the fear here in America that little by little, the Taliban would take over. And let's just go to the next step. And maybe the Taliban would again open the country to various anti-Western, anti-American terrorist groups, because that's what got the United States interested and involved. 20 years ago, on September 11th, we're coming up to that anniversary, the U.S. was attacked by al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda and its leader, Osama bin Laden, were in Afghanistan. That's why the U.S. went in pretty much overthrowing and removing the Taliban government. But here we are after the U.S. has given up that mission. And Steve, your thoughts as we wrap up. I think there's an acceptance here in Washington that this Afghan army is not going to be able to hold off the Taliban from the gates of Kabul. They're effectively already there. And that the um, current government will not survive that in some form or another, the Taliban will come back to power 
and the red line for the United States and NATO will be exactly what Dan mentioned, if the Taliban allow hostile groups back into the country with the capability to launch attacks on the West, then the United States will be compelled to continue some sort of military attacks or uh, perhaps go back to the type of clandestine warfare that we saw in earlier decades. But for the people of Afghanistan who um, advocate freedom, liberty, human rights, and, and especially even simple things like allowing women to go to school or to play music on the radio, the future is starting to look bleak again. Yes, and we will have to end on that note. My thanks to our panelist, Dan Raviv, columnist for Newsday, and Steve Herman, VOA White House Bureau Chief. I'm Kim Lewis. Thanks for joining us for Issues in the News. 